Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, where our guest is Dr. Ozzy Gontag. Am I pronouncing that right, Ozzy? Yeah, Gontag, right. Uh huh. Thank you. Ozzy is a walking and running therapist who has discovered that walking during therapy and well, we're going to talk about actually all the things, sort of how that impacts walking and exactly what that means. So let's actually just jump into that. So okay. what do we mean by a walking therapist? Uh, well, it started for me, you know, in, in 1975, 76. My mentor was a psychiatrist, Tad Kostrabala, and he wrote a book called The Joy of Running. And there was a group of us that were working with him sort of doing a, a Jungian program uh, at Mercy Hospital here in San Diego. And uh, we then created a study where what we did is we met for almost six or seven months. And with the group, we would walk for an hour and then walk and run. And then after that, we would meet together for an hour. But before that, you know, we, we got together because of the Honolulu Marathon had a whole training program for a year. And so it was that idea, how do you train a person? And so we would meet with for four hours uh, on a Sunday to basically walk. And a lot of people at the beginning, you know, they, they'd walk out and it was by the beach. So they'd hide behind some sand dunes for an hour or two, and then they'd come back at the, when the four hours were up. But the other part was in working with patients that he started walking with them and, and noticed that there was a difference. And from that, as and just seeing the whole training place that took place, it was a group in Toronto, and it was the cardiac rehab. And every year, they would start in January, this cardiac rehab group, and they would, in December, run the Honolulu Marathon. That was the cardiac rehab development. And he saw the changes that had taken place with them. And so that was sort of in this, he thought, well, how do we get our own patients back into the swing of life? And the beginning was the San Diego Marathon Clinic, where when you went to the clinic, uh, basically you could go one, two, three, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 13 miles if you wanted to. And, you know, people would be start walking and it was a whole training program and it was a way of integrating people back into, you know, that had been in depression, that had had other kinds of psychological issues, meeting, meeting a group of people uh, that they could walk with. And I think, you know, what you've done in terms of the community that you've created is what it's about. It's all about community. And when someone would ask, what do you do? People would normally say, well, I do three miles or I do a mile or I do five miles. So you were never really identified with having any kind of issues. However, we could talk about that later. There's a, a sacredness that takes place in, in long distance walking and long distance running. 
what of course is super interesting is this intersection between walking and running and how you've seen that impact uh, people's emotional and mental, right? So the cardiac rehab, of course, movement and exercise is critical to that, which is a whole conversation that's fascinating to me uh, because of the way we've changed the way we treat cardiac patients over the last several decades. But putting yeah. that aside, right, the, the emotional and mental aspects of how that kind of all comes together. Can you share a little bit of what you've seen in your practice as far as sure. that element the, of it? Uh, I'll start with one example. There was a, a fellow I was walking with, and there in San Diego, there's a place called Mission Bay, and you can walk around Mission Bay. It's an eight-mile walk. And he had been going through a lot of issues and, and had been going through really a deep depression, and it was that statement. At one point, he was suicidal. And you said, you know, I just can't go on. I can't go on. And so for the eight miles, basically, I allowed him to do that chant whenever he wanted to, that I can't go on. I can't go on. I just can't go on. And at the eight miles, they said, I understand that you can't go on, but we just completed eight miles. <laughs> and you went on. And on, on one of the other walks around there with the issues that he had, there's a a big eucalyptus tree and it's a, a sort of a fork on the, the path that goes around the eucalyptus tree and so i had him touch the eucalyptus tree and i said you can leave all of your problems here and anytime you want you can come back and touch the tree and they'll come back again and again it was that whole idea of how how do we play with what's possible and what's interesting you know the word therapy comes from the greek and it means to attend or listen to. And so in walking, you know, you're, you're really listening to someone because you're really not looking at them. You're looking in the same direction. You're moving together. And over the, over the time of walking with people, I can tell the emotional changes. I'm sure you with the people that you've walked with, if they're slowing down, something's going on. If they speed up, if they stop to talk, they simply say, what are you thinking? Uh, it becomes that kind of dialogue and the exercise, the walking part of it allows them to to be less inhibited. And if you think of it, you know, you're you're sitting there in a in a therapy room and basically the energy is within you. It's like, how do I let this go? And as you walk, well, first of all, you're having to breathe a lot more. And there's a lot less anxiety because this person is just walking and talking with you. And I think that's the power. You know, someone said, well, basically it's just a walk. That's why they get better. Or, you know, or there's a fact that you're a good therapist. And we said, I don't know. All that I know is that when I finish, I could say to them, you've lost anywhere from three to five or 600 calories. <laughs> So at least there's that, right? <laughs> that, that's, the, that, that's the foundation. But again, the change <laughs> is knowing someone is listening to you. And there's also, as you're walking, there's a lot of free association. And at times I would stop with someone and I'd say, let's just look around and what do you mm. see? And it's that whole idea of when you're walking, you're in the present moment. Again, you can go off in revelry, you start thinking about different things, 
but at times, you know, when I walk, I, I don't listen to any kind of, uh, you know, on, on my own walks. If I'm walking, I really don't like to listen to anything because I, I want to focus on what's happening here and now. And I think it's part of that whole mindfulness. But what's nice, the other side of it is when you go out for a half hour walk and you're listening to one of your talks that you do, uh, it's a conversation. It's in a way, in some ways, you, it's therapeutic because you're listening, you're in what other people are thinking, uh, what they're what they're talking about, insights that you get. I listened to one of your talks with, with Chris and it was about grief. And I realized that whole issue of being able to walk and to to feel the emotions of what's going on, of what's happening. Because very often, you know, we we don't realize because our brain is saying, well, it's over with, or, you know, buck up it, don't worry about it, you know, it's, you're okay. But we don't get in touch with the emotions that are there. I agree with you. I think walking provides such a good opportunity for us to hear the things in our, our hearts that we need to hear. Uh, you just sort of rattled off so many different reasons why walking together, uh, walking together as humans and also walking together in a therapeutic session is so uh, powerful. Everything from the, the met, well, it's not even a metaphor, it's the metaphor and you are actually moving forward, which is really incredible, right? So there's that piece so much. But I want to go back just real quick to talk a little bit more about this idea of walking shoulder to shoulder in a conversation or in a therapeutic environment. So I'll tell you a story. When my oldest child, my son, became a teenager, I was reading and trying to get educated on some ideas for how to best raise a teenager and how to communicate with your teenager. And something I read, I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we spoke, but something I read that has always stayed with me is treat your teenager like a wild animal. And if you want to talk to them, don't look them in the eyes. (laughs) Mm. Right? So, you know, and, and many parents will tell you that they have the best conversations with their kids while they're driving in the car. So Mm -hmm. I know it's just one small element of why this walking together and walking therapy is so powerful. Uh, But could you share a little bit about your thoughts about this idea of being shoulder to shoulder and not looking someone directly in the eye? Does it encourage people to open up more? Yeah, well, I'll first start with what you were talking about, you know, the whole thing with treat our children as an animal. I basically say we are animals. And so Mm. when with parents, I say the issue is you have to be, and this is as a family therapist, you have to be a good animal trainer. And a good animal trainer, and a good animal trainer is consistent. And the issue is your baby from the age of a few months is manipulating you because if it's hungry or if it needs its diaper changed, it will let you know. And so what occurs is that if I'm arguing with my child about doing something and I give in, then my child has won because it will continue on for the rest of its life and it doesn't look pretty at 18 or 20 or 25. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but getting back to the shoulder to shoulder, 
first of all, you're looking in the same direction. You're listening to what someone is saying. But at the same time, you're taking in the surroundings and the surroundings are changing. It's like you're in a movie and as you walk, it may change. And examples happen. I remember one time I was working with one person and there was a hawk hovering over us. Mm. And at times you realize the universe speaks to us. And watching that hawk for the individual, it was like, God, I'm, I'm hovering in my life. How do I let go? Walking along the beach one time, we saw some porpoises, and it was like, oh, my gosh. That, that kind of awareness is the universe is always speaking wherever you are, whether you're walking in the city or whether you're walking in some you know, nice wooded area or in a park there's we're we're meant to be right we're in nature we're usually sitting in boxes which are the rooms that we sit in and for us to get out and to go walk with someone alters that perception and it becomes that awareness i'm i'm one in nature and how do i how do i listen first of all to myself and my feelings because very often I've suppressed my feelings so much that I don't even know that I feel. And person will say, I say, how do you feel? Well, I think I feel. They use that word, right? As opposed to if you close your eyes, and this is from the positive psychology, if you close your eyes and feel your thumb against your index finger, and you'll feel the smoothness, you'll feel maybe a little bit of callus towards the edge, you'll feel the sponginess, maybe the temperature, and when you open your eyes, I simply say, for the last 10 seconds, you have not been thinking. You've been feeling. And for most of us, it's difficult to get in touch with our feelings. So going back to this idea of uh, the walking together, because once again, you've faked a lot into one answer, and I want to go back to sort of the start of it, uh, mm -hmm. which was... I think around this idea of sharing experiences, sharing the experiences of the porpoises, sharing the experience of the hawk and looking for what the universe is, is sending and kind of having that opportunity to explore that with, with your friend, with the person you're walking with or with your patient. Yeah, I, I think what you've said there is really powerful. The, I, I did an article once and I said, sometimes your best therapist is the person you're walking with. Mm -hmm. It's your friend. It isn't that I have to go see a therapist, but the therapy is taking place. The healing is taking place with the conversation. And the conversation, as it's taking place, what will happen is a lot of people, they will remember the walk. It's, it's like a Olympic skier going down the ski run, they can tell you what took place in that 14 or 18 or 30 seconds that they've gone down the slalom. And it's the same thing. The person, they will, it's almost like your walk becomes the hook that allows you to remember that significant thing that took place when you conversed with your friend or with your therapist. When you tie conversation to experience, 
it has a different kind of memory, right? Oh, definitely, because I you could you'll be able to remember the day, the weather, where you were. It's like you're you're locking in a a movement in your own life that is, that's a change. You've changed the perspective. You've changed an orientation of the way that you've looked at something. But I'll ask people, and I ask you, what what color is a yield sign? Mm-hmm. And you'll say, what color? I think it's yellow. <laughs> okay. And so 90% of the people will say it's yellow, but they haven't been yellow since 1988 when we oh. adopted International Signage Code. What color is it? Oh, my gosh. It's just white and black, I'm not gonna, isn't it? I'm going to tell you because you're going to go look. And the only reason I know is that I lost $100 because I could said I could find a yellow yield sign. They don't exist in, in the United States. And that's so interesting. And 90% of the people will agree with me and say they're yellow and they're not, huh? And so the, the, issue, that, the issue there is you've held on to an idea that doesn't exist. But oh. it's in your mind. How do you let it go? It's the same thing with, you know, with the optic nerve. You can show a person their blind spot. And it's like you have a physical blind spot. There's a mental blind spot if you think they're yellow. And so what else may you be blind to? But as we're walking, we're also looking in the direction that we're going. We're looking in a way 100 yards, a mile ahead is the future. But I can see the future from where I am because I'm creating it now as I walk into it. I love that. I love that so much that I just sort of want to sit here with that for a minute, but I also oh. really want to get on to, uh, I know a focus of your work has also been helping people understand that walking and running is kind of a practice of falling and catching yourself over and over again. Can you explain kind of what, you're, what you mean by that and how that plays into the work and the therapy that you do with people? Okay. So what, what's occurred is, I started working on this thing of overcoming the fear of falling. And I said, it's a theory and practice of walking to save one life. And the reason I started in 2018, the demographics in the U.S. of seniors, there were 3 million seniors that slipped and fell that, that basically said and were reported. They figure another million didn't report. Of the 3 million, 750,000 went to the hospital or emergency. Of the 750,000, 32,000 seniors slipped and fell and died. Now, the other part, there's no statistics of those that could not go back to their normal life. And so with the walking that I've done over the years and training people, when you start to walk, you take a step first, right? If you take a step first, and if you're coming towards me, and I can see the bottom of your sole of your shoe, it tells me your body weight is on the back foot. If your body weight is on the back foot, basically what happens, Joyce, if you slipped on a banana peel, how would you fall? I believe I would fall backwards. Okay, so the question is, hmm, that's interesting. Why would I fall backwards? So if you look up Ozzy Gontang, and there's a, a, a little, I think it's about five, six minutes long, do we run the way we walk? 
And so what occurs is I'm afraid of falling. And Bessel van der Kolk in his book, The Body Keeps Score, talks about trauma. And the issue is the trauma of when we were kids, we fell several times. I forgot about those falls. My body did not forget about them. And so what occurs is if you're walking taking a step first, your body weight is on the back foot. If you slip on the proverbial banana peel, you'll fall backwards. If you stumble and fall forwards, your body weight's on the back foot. You can't catch yourself. You're going to fall. So the issue then becomes if you watch a baby walk, they're just lifting their feet up and down. And that was that whole idea then is that if I lift my feet up and down, I'm going zero miles an hour. But no one, if I say lean as far forward as you can, you will lean as far forward and you'll dig your toes in. And then if I say lean further forward, you'll bend at the waist, which means you're counterbalancing. You're not going to fall. And so it's like, for me, it's teaching a person how to fall again. And the example would be, you're a skier, right? Yes, I am. To teach people to ski, the most difficult thing is to get them to start to fall down the hill, correct? Because you're going to fall on your butt. 100%. Getting your weight forward is so counterintuitive, for sure. Right. So it's not counterintuitive. It's the very fact that I'm afraid of falling. It's locked in my body from childhood. And the issue that I'm saying is if I can change the way that you walk, I may save your life because the way that I'm walking now as an adult is has locked in it the fact that if I fall and slip on something, I'm more likely than not will fall backwards. If I fall forwards, I can't catch myself. So uh, forgive my ignorance of this question, uh, but I'm really trying to understand this concept. And I, I get the sense that with you, things are kind of multi-layered, right? So is this purely a function of literally how you walk or do you see this also as more of a metaphor for how we pun intended walk through life and and process and deal with trauma no it it is well it's the metaphor part of it but it is also the part of like the yellow yield sign i don't see it yep that you watch people walk they walk as if they are a statue on a pedestal of legs and as we get older we don't use well if i if i had you right now if you touch yourself on the top of the head and push up against your head you're going to grow anywhere from an inch to two inches in height right yep doing it right now (laughs) okay so why, why did that happen there's nothing pulling me up but what issue is I walk as if I'm standing on my legs. The reality of it is, and I mentioned in my writing to you, that I'm a marionette. If you look at a dancer, they're moving very lightly on their feet. I want people to get back again to walk. We we call it foot strike. It's not a foot strike. I only touch the ground because any time I hit the ground any harder, the ground's not going to give. It's going to go up through my body, through my ankles, my knees, up into my hips. So I want to be light on my feet. And because I'm afraid of falling, I'm not. 
So years ago, a couple of years ago, I was mm -hmm. leading walking classes in 99 Walks in our app. So we have a lot mm -hmm. of uh, walking classes. And when I would kind of guide people through this idea of just focusing on how you're walking, I would use the, the phrase striking the ground. And I once, as you just did, but I, don't, I didn't like that because we don't want to be striking the ground, as you just said. And I, I put right. it out actually to the community and said, somebody give me a better phrase because I hate this idea. Because when you say striking the ground, right, it conjures up that striking Oh, my God, thing. yeah. Oh, yeah. And so you ready? I'm going to give you what somebody gave me, which I just love, which is greeting the ground with your foot. Okay, greet. I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's not mine. Somebody gave it to me. But, you know, greet the ground, heel first, roll forward. But rather than strike, yeah. I think we need to – Rephrase that. I, I, I use it. I, I take in the word away, and it's really it's a foot touch. Yep. It would be how, how the ground has supported me for all of these years, right? And if you think about it, if an earthquake that when the ground trembles, your your ground gives way. And so walking over the ground, I I want to basically when I move. I'm I'm rolling over the ground because I'm holding my body up. And my ground, so if I had you stand up and I say, okay, Joe, stand up, lift up one foot and jump to the other leg. More likely than not, you're going to jump up and come down on the other leg. Right. But the reality it. of it is, <laughs> right? But the reality is if you lift that same leg up again and just put one foot down quickly and lift the other foot up, you don't need to jump. So when I'm working with marathoners, if you lifted your body weight a half inch more than you needed to, every 24 steps you would have lifted your body weight, what, say you weigh 120 pounds, you would have lifted your body weight 120 foot pounds vertically. You put that in a marathon of maybe 50,000 steps, all of that, I can say I can take 10 or 15 minutes off of your time because you're not going to be jumping anymore. You're going to be simply lifting your legs up and down. And a metaphor would be that your body's the car, your feet are the wheels rolling along. Right, the idea of slam, sort of slamming, I mean, that's an overstatement, right? But slamming our feet down on the ground with every step, whether we're walking or running, yes. uh, kind of the, the cumulative impact of all of that. Right, so probably the best way if, you, if you're standing now and you put your feet together and you let your right heel touch in front of you, your body weight's on your left foot, the back leg, right? Correct. When you put your feet together again, now take that right foot, put it about 10 inches behind you, and your body weight is still on your front foot, your left foot, but it's now on, on your, you're over your body. Right. So when I walk and teach someone to walk, I want them always over that front foot. That's why women in Africa can carry the weight on their heads, whereas a soldier with an 80-pound backpack uses 20 or 30% of excess energy. Well, the woman with 20% of her body weight on her head expends no extra energy because she's holding herself up and she's basically rolling over the ground. She's not hitting the ground every step all about kind of that efficiency. And I, I had as a guest on the Walk and Talk several months ago, 
uh, a wonderful, wonderful exercise physiologist. And she talks, and one of her big things and themes is all around this idea of alignment and not letting your weight shift behind you or even too far out in front of you, right? It is about mm -hmm. alignment, which once again, I feel like is an Aussie fact and a metaphor, right? Because <laughs> we're looking for oh, that no, kind of is. alignment it's, in the rest of our lives. You know, with, with I, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, people call the, the warrior pose, the mountain pose, they call, they call it Tadasana, right? And I was wondering if, is that where it came when someone says, ta-da, is that where that came from? I don't know. I love that question. Yeah, but it, it just, it sounded like, because you say, ta-da, you know, you're, you're lifting your body up and it's almost like you've created something, this, this moment of joy. Oh, I love that. Ozzy, listen, I understand that you're working on a new online program, encouraging and helping people overcome their fear of falling. Can you share a little right. bit about what that's all about? It's basically what I was just talking to you right now, is that we, if you look at exercise physiologists, everybody looks at what is the dynamic of the foot and how it walks over the ground. It's a pendulum. And you remember 20 years ago, they had, you put your feet in these two, two uh, you know, settles and your feet swung back and forth like a walk. Like oh, yeah. yep. And they realized that they didn't do anything. <laughs> and, and if you realize, if you start to walk as if you're on an elliptical, your feet don't swing back and forth. They make an elliptical movement, correct? Yep. So probably the simplest way is, if I put a big BOSA ball in front of you and I have you start to knee it as you're walking, as you knee it, your foot's going to come right down again. It's not no longer going to swing forward. That's where I went because when that happens, you're now over your front, you're, you're over your front foot, you're now over your body weight and you're now supporting yourself. If you stepped on the banana peel, you'd step on the banana peel and you wouldn't slip. It is interesting to think about, and, and we're, we're just about coming out of time, but I'm thinking a little bit about, we were talking before we went live about uh, living in different uh, weather places, right? You're in Southern mm, California, yeah. I'm in New York, but you have lived on the East Coast. And it's got me thinking a little bit about how I change the way I walk when I'm walking on ice. And a lot of yeah. what you're saying, I do instinctively when I know it's slippery, but I don't do it when it's not. And you hit it right on the head. If you imagine that you're walking on ice and that whole thing with the Bosa ball, your body weight's over the front fit, foot so you won't slip forwards or backwards because you're balancing yourself over that foot. That's the way, in my mind, I teach people to walk and I teach runners that way because when they go back to their old walking form, the running form that they have, they're not practicing it because they're practicing their walking 20 or 30 hours a week. So, so again, it's becoming, yeah. 
we could do this all day long. And I love that, I, that we're having this conversation as a walk and talk because unlike a typical podcast, I'm actually up and walking. And everything yeah. you said, I was physically doing as we were walking. So thank you for that. Um, Ozzy, if people want to learn more about your work or your new online program or your writing, all of the things, where are the best places online to find more of your good well, stuff? One, I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram under Ozzy Gontang and uh, I'm just, I'm redoing my website, which is mindfulwalking.com. Perfect. And we will share those links in the show notes and across our social channels as well. Thank you so much for being here. I really would love to continue this conversation. If I find my way to Southern California, can we hang out and walk together? We definitely can. And thank you for having me. It's been a, really a pleasure to be able to share with you and you do some marvelous work. I, I really love the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. And right back at you. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.